So I've never dated a woman that was younger than me, and I always I was never going to. And uh, welcome to the live show. I've been going on for about, uh, I want to say, 80 minutes at this point before hitting the record button because I need to caffeinate. Uh, normally, I'm all embarrassed or a little bit afraid about tummy noises if my tummy grumbles, but I just shot so much caffeine down my gullet trying to straight up just, like, be a good good uh, tip show daddy for you guys. So if my tummy rumbles... It's for you. I hurt myself for you instead of hurting myself because of old schemas and patterns. That's the jokes, and that's how we're starting. Uh, so I always said that I was never going to date a younger woman, and I've meant that uh, all my life. And I've, I've, I've mostly dated women older, uh, and I'm mostly, I got to say, interested in women my age uh, or about. Uh, I don't talk about my exes a lot, but my first, you know, serious relationship, I was 20, she was in her 20s. You know, the Danish, the Scandinavian ex that I talk about, she was my age, uh, like legit my age. Uh, When I have tried to to see or or flirt with a gal who is a lady of the night, even though I know that there's like weird power dynamics and stuff uh, at play there. Everybody can hear me, right? Everything's going well? Yes? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, even though there's like weird dynamics at that, you know, the last the last gal that I tried to make anything work with, she was three years younger than me, which I consider the same age. If you're both in your 30s, right? You're the same age. That's you know approximately. That's 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 uh, the same. Uh, and I've mostly dated women my age, older. They've mostly had degrees or certification, uh, more degrees and certification than I've had. Uh, and they they've mostly been fairly educated and all that. And I've just thought, like, if I can't make it work with that, then I can't make it work with anyone. And I've never really expressed that to the best of my knowledge, I don't think, out loud, because it's not something I thought was worthy of expression. I thought that was just something that, like, everybody was walking around with. And the shrink that I'm seeing right now just kind of gave me a puzzled look, and he goes, so you're just, you're only going for the optimal pool? And I went, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think you can see where this is probably going. He goes, so let me get this straight. So you're saying if a gal in her 20s walks up to you and says like, hey, you want to go get a burrito, you look at her, you see her age, and you're like, no. I went, yeah. And he goes, hypothetically? And I went, no, actually. And he went, okay, let's take a step back. I went, sure. He goes, how, how, many, how many would you say... And so, like, if a, like, he's all like, so if a woman's like, so if a, like, a 25-year-old woman's like, do you want to get something, which is something that no man ever gets and would kill for, what do you do? And the answer is, I turn it down. He goes, how many times would you say this happens? And so I was just like, all right, all right. Like, as the Grey Knight, like, online, where I don't really consider it that real, right? Uh, and he's like, yeah. And so I just kind of, like... I do this thing that freaks people out. This freaks people out. This isn't just in therapy or relationships. It freaks people out. Ready? It freaks people out. I'm so sorry for this if it worries you or it makes me less attractive. People will ask me a question, and I will stop talking and think about that question. Like this. But in the room. And without this brief little bit, (laughs) 
And sometimes I'll think for however long I need to. Because the question is like, huh, I really need to think about that one, don't I? And so I just sit there in my therapist's office, and he goes, how many times does this happen? And I don't know what it looked like from the outside, but I think it looked a lot like Zach Braff in the early seasons of Scrubs when he would mug for the camera that he was about to go to Imagination Land. Because I think my head tilted up to the left, and then like like my mouth opened up, and then, no, 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 no. Came out of my mouth. Because I come back and I see a man looking at me like I am much more insane than I feel like thinking about that should warrant. <laughs> and I go, I, I'd say like twice a month? So we're getting into this conversation about... <laughs> We're getting this conversation about, like, so women between the ages of 21 and 30, and I correct him and go, uh, 18 and 27. He goes, women between 18 and 27 will DM you and and say, like, you want to come and fuck me? And I go, well, yeah. And he goes, and how many of them mean it? I go, oh, I only, oh, I only talk about the ones who meant it. And so my therapist is looking at me a little bit more confusedly. And he asked me why I came up with this rule. And the answer is, this is the honest answer, because I'd never thought that this was a weird rule to come up with, to be perfectly honest with you. I said, well, when I DM them, and then the conversation runs still, like... They either go away or send me nudes. But you can't do that in person. And I can only have sex so many times a day. And I'm, I'm really not all that interested in seeing Des Moines. So when I think about having sex with them and then being stuck there with them and then being all like, so you want to talk about Steven Universe? I think I probably don't want to do that. Like parts of that sound really fun, but parts of that don't. The last time I tried to be with a younger woman just like as a romantic hookup, I put on Blade Runner because she said she wanted to watch Blade Runner, which confused the shit out of me. So I put on Blade Runner. Uh, so I put on Blade Runner, Ridley Scott edition, of course, and I'm watching it, and like 20 minutes in, she's kissing on my neck, and I'm like, Blade Runner. <laughs> and she's all like, well, you, she's like, I, wanna, I don't really want to watch Blade Runner. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm getting mixed signals here. <laughs> so we... We pause Blade Runner and we have sex. And this is this is how you can tell this is not a story to like make me sound great. She's a younger woman, we have sex. That's all I'm saying. That's all that's all you get. So we have sex, then we unpause Blade Runner, and I'm watching Blade Runner. 
I don't know, 20, 25, 30 minutes further into it. It's hard to tell with that movie because uh, it's not that long, but it feels like it takes 10 hours to get to the fucking point. And, you know, I guess she starts rubbing my crotch again. And I'm like, hey, Blade Runner. <laughs> We're halfway into the movie now at this point, kid. We got to watch this shit because uh, Harrison Ford's actually about to start acting, okay? Like... We gotta, we gotta start paying attention, all right? <laughs> I know it took him a long time to get there, but he's just about to start acting. So, like, don't take away the good half of the movie away from me. <laughs> and she's like, I thought I made it clear. I didn't really want to watch Blade Runner. And I looked at her, I was like, I thought I made it clear. I'm watching fucking Blade Runner! So she falls asleep on me, like, you know, 15, 20 minutes after that. I'm a little annoyed because she's, uh, she's a cute snorer, which is the most annoying kind of snorer when you're watching a movie. Because if someone's an ugly snorer, you get to turn the sound up, and if you wake them, fuck you. If someone's an ugly snorer, and you turn up the volume of the movie, and then, like, an explosion happens, and it wakes them up, fair fucking play. That's sorry. That's how it works. You you started the sound war. I'll finish it. I'm conscious. So that's okay. But when someone's like a little kid's nerd and sleeping on you and their fucking cheek is just like turning snot and sweat into this like this goddamn rubber cement on your body and they're just that that heat, that eternal heat that a sleeping body can create for some reason, right? And she's just like in your nose. She's like... So I hear a snoring, and I know she's asleep, because she's making that, like, pattern over and over again. And then I hear, <clears throat> like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into that. We're getting towards the end of it. We're, we're, in, we're, we're, we're towards the climax. Rutger Howard isn't quite saying that he's seen a bunch of bullshit that he probably should have said that he saw in the opening of the movie. It would have made his character a million times more interesting if he didn't save that fucking climax for the end. But, oh, well, it's a fucking improvised line, I guess. Rutger Howard, look him up, kids. It's a real name. I know it sounds like I hit the generate name on an NPC button for a fucking MMO, but Rutger Hauer, he was a real fucking actor. It's a real fucking name. So, <laughs> Rutger Hauer's not quite, you know, talking about the things that he's seen, like Dora the Explorer, the robot version, but we're getting pretty close. We're getting real close to the climax of this fucking movie that this person told me that they wanted to see. And she's waking up, and she's like nausing against me, and she's all like, mm. Oh. Mm. and I can hear her because she's in my ear the same way I'm in yours. Because her head's right there. Her head's right there. It's right next to my ear. So she's, mm. I'm waking and I'm cute. Mm. And I don't react because I'm kind of hoping she'll go back to sleep at this point. I'm just being perfectly honest with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And we're approaching the fucking fight between Harrison Ford and Rucker Howard. It's a great fucking cinematic movie. I got mixed feelings about Blade Runner overall as a movie. Great fucking climax. And she's mad that I've not taken the hint or whatever, but she's cute mad. She's like, hmm. And so she just takes her fucking Christina Hendricks-sized thigh and she just ka-chunks it over my goddamn body so that she's got one on each. And then she's, like, moving her body, her head up my chest. and Like, I'm clothed, and she's mostly clothed. <laughs> a, a great sign of successful lovemaking, like we're in a Hollywood movie. I'm mostly clothed, and she's slightly clothed, and she's, like, sliding up my body. So it's not sexy. I don't know what she's thinking she's doing, but she's just sliding her skin against cloth. And I can feel her, but, like, I've already had sex and orgasmed uh, and turned down more, so I don't know really what the move is. So she slides up, and she looks at me, and she says, Daddy. And I look at her, and I go, uh-huh. And she goes, I don't understand what's happening in this movie. And I said, no, you probably wouldn't. You'd have to watch some of it for that to happen. And she, and she sticks out her bottom lip in a big pouty way, and she goes, "Oh, but if I don't know what happened in the movie," and she reaches and she grabs my fucking cock again, and I grab her wrist and I said, "Well, there's Wikipedia, and you got your phone." The end of the fucking movie. Yeah, I know how it ends. I think. I've seen three editions of it, so I think I know how it ends. I don't really... I, 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 but I, I have a good idea on how it ends. <laughs> Blade Runner is the only movie that you can watch again and not know if you're watching it again or not. It's one of the very few movies. Blade Runner you could watch, and depending on the edition, you've seen like, oh, this is all new, or I was too stoned, or both. Oh, no. Am I the robot? All right. So that's the last experience I had with a younger gal is trying to watch Blade Runner and apparently fucking it up. And so I tell the shrink, like, I don't want to, like, Dora the Explorer my sexual partners. Like, that's not a good time for me. I'm not opposed to a younger woman or having sex with her. But I don't want... To be all like, do you know what a movie is? Very good. It's something we watch and listen to. Uh, do you know why it's rude to request somebody bring a movie and then not watch it repeatedly? You don't? Well, then get the fuck out, because this is a program for five-year-olds, and apparently you're not ready. Uh... <laughs> So we have a talk about it later on. That's before I skip back to the street. We have a talk about it later on, and she goes, oh, I just thought you would like that. It looks like a nerd movie. <sighs> right, idea, right, right idea, wrong instincts, kid. All right. So I tell, we cut back to the shrink, and I've, I've cut back, and he's now like, I, I try not to think what's in my shrink's head because what's the benefit, but... If I were ever to wonder if a shrink was wondering if I was entirely full of shit and making everything up, 
it's definitely when they're making a face like they're making at me right then when I'm saying like, yeah, I get like a couple of nudes a day on average. Yeah, it's around 100 a month. It's around three a day on average. And yes, I do get the occasional come and fuck me in Des Moines message. Uh, and the shrink's just kind of looking at me like, uh... And we're talking about this. And he goes, okay, so let me ask you a question. Real honest to God question. Real honest to God question. Real question. Real question. He doesn't say real honest to God. That's my language. Real question. Real question. Okay. He goes, is there any chance you're not having sex with them because of rejection? And I went, yes, there's every chance. And he goes, okay, okay, okay. Now, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine. You go. You go. And you... Go to a city. We're just going to keep using Des Moines. I'm not, I've never actually been propositioned about from someone from Des Moines. I was just on my mind because of the news this week. We're getting into it real quick. <laughs> never actually been propositioned by an Iowan girl. I am open to it, though. Uh, so, wow, nobody with the Iowa joke? Fine. I guess it's all, I guess it's scarring us all. Uh, so he's like, I want you to imagine. You go, let's not put an age on her. Okay, but she's a woman that you would have rejected because she just wants to have this fun experience with her. You just want to have a fun experience with her. You go, you go to Des Moines, you meet up, and you have a great experience. You have great sex. She's she's really fun. Uh, she's really light. It's really easy. Can you envision that? Yeah. Can you see that? Yeah. Can you see that if she's in her 30s? Yeah. Can you see that if she's in her 20s? Much harder. Can you see it, though? Yeah, I can visualize it. Can you see it? Sure. And then you get back on the plane... And you're on the boarding plane, however long it was, one night, two nights, three nights a week, however long you make it, whatever it is. And you sit down. You had a great trip. You had this great sex. It was really easy. You can see that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So close your eyes. Okay, okay, sure, yeah, okay. Take a deep breath. What is the first thing that you think to yourself when you reflect back over the week you just had? I just spent so much fucking money to fuck a basic pussy that I don't even remotely understand what my place in this world is. <laughs> so anyways, after that, my shrink kind of changed subjects, and apparently we're working on something called, uh, called rejecting called rejection. I'm rejecting things before their their uh, possible benefit makes itself manifest to me. Uh, possibly. Uh, uh, I gotta say, you guys gotta reach out to me on this one because uh, I'm a little confused because I, I kind of threw up a counterpoint after all this where he's all like, come on, this should be more interesting. This should be more exciting because we're talking about like my motivation levels and you know what I do with, with health and energy going forward and all that. He goes, you should be more motivated by having sex with these gals. I went, I don't think you understand, dog. I'm just gonna be real real with you in case you think that I'm like the perfect feminist icon at all time. I'm definitely not. I'm nothing more near it or anything close to it. I just want to be real clear. When I first started being the Grey Knight and like 18 through 22 year olds would DM me and be like, do you want to see my breasts? That was like the end of a beautiful like life for me. That was the bell ringing. I'm like, yes, 
It was the most exciting. Like, what? I grew up with Girls Gone Wild. We had to pay like $29.95 to get a forced like version of, of that. And I was just starting to get it for free. Of course it was fun, but that was years ago, man. Like, what do you want from me? And, like, you know, you have enough conversations. Like, trust me, before I became the Grey Knight, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I get it. I get it. I do. I do. Like a woman coming running up to you and being all like, I want to have sex with you. And she's attractive. That sounds amazing. But it turns out that the ones who do that... May, they might have some other, like, stuff going on in their heads and plans, and they might not really see you entirely, and you talk to them a little bit, and it turns out that, like, you're just, like, a giant dick, like you're a Rocky Horror Picture so extra, uh, you're nothing else, you're just a six-foot-tall dick that can give them a little bit of pleasure and nothing else. It's <sighs> ah, weird. All right, guys, that's uh, that's talking about women in therapy and how... I just, I don't know what the rules are anymore, and uh, apparently my therapist is getting my last therapist got really irritated with me that I wasn't taking more swings at women, uh, and now this one is too, and they are not very similar, giving the same kind of advice. So I guess I mean not irritated, but they're like, why aren't you doing this? And my answers, like when I give them answers about why aren't I doing other stuff, they accept it and we start talking about it. When they ask me like, why aren't you having sex and why aren't you approaching romance and and that sort of thing? When I give my answers, they're like, no, no, wrong. This is, this is, this, this is bad and we got to fix it. So. And I don't want to fix it. You guys are scary and you hurt my feelings one-on-one. And then I yell at you and then I hurt my feelings. And I guess yours too when I yell at you. I don't know. Maybe you have feelings too. I haven't really figured it out. <sighs> Still kind of processing it. Uh, so speaking of other people not having feelings, I I I feel amazing. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work. I have a low energy level and I caffeinated before coming out of the show. Maybe you can hear that I have a low energy level. It's just a little bit low. I have been carb loading and doing endurance training, uh, aerobic training, uh, once to twice a week, pretty regularly in 2020. So carb loading is where you don't eat food that you enjoy or, or or is good for you, really, even in a way. You just eat a shit ton of fucking carbs. Uh, and you eat it about 36. I mean, it depends on your age and gender and a couple of different things. Uh, but you, you eat a shit ton of carbs. You drink a bunch of water. You don't do anything else. No caffeine, no smoking, no weed. Uh, some weed is taken. You uh 100% just straight up just eat carbs and then you try and use that aerobic energy just trying to make more spoons and it's working but i think i hit a limit on how how much potato and lentil can fill, can fill me throughout these workouts uh and i'm i'm trying to figure that out as well i'm starting to move more beef and stuff back in occasionally i'm starting to move more heavy stuff back in but i feel fantastic my muscles are getting really really <laughs> Allie asked if she could carb load every day this is my joke about people who like decide that they wanna they wanna climb Mount Everest, and they're all like, "Yeah, I'm gonna climb Mount Everest next year." Uh, my joke is just like, "Just carb load your way to the summit, baby," because that's not enough time to train for Everest. Just saying, like that's not gonna work for you. 
Oh my god, you can tell we're getting really close to the summit of Everest because we haven't seen a Panda Express in hours. <laughs> just straight rice bowling and fr- fr- Fredo Alcedo your way right on. Just, just, that's what, El- that's what the Edmund Hillary method, baby. It was nothing but oolong noodles. That's all it took. He just constantly slurping them, got them right to the top. Lassoed his way down. Oolong, 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 all the way. Udon, 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 not oolong. Udon, 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 oolong's the tea. Udon, not oolong, you uncultured swine. Jack, you fucking piece of shit. Confusing udon with oolong inside your head. Ha, 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 ha. What a rube. What a rube! Who could do such a thing? Uh, Udon. Udon noodles. Edmund Hillary uh, (laughs) repelled down Everest on a lasso, on a lariat of Udon noodles. That's history. (laughs) Believe. Uh, (laughs) So I feel really good and uh, I've been, I don't want to like talk about the different things we're doing, but I've actually been getting out of the gym, doing cardio on the exercise bike, but I've also been getting out of the gym. Uh, Just trying to get much more comfortable with my body, with being in the world, uh, with talking to people in real time so I can actually start doing video stuff. And and I know that's been a long time coming, so there's absolutely no promise it's coming anytime soon. But, like, I'm really trying to get as comfortable as I can seeing my reflection in mirrors in public in real time and real clothes and talking to people and, and, and just – I know that that sounds strange, but it's just one of the ways that PTSD limits me is that kind of communication, that kind of effort can be very difficult sometimes. And even when it's, you know, difficult, I'm just trying to push right through uh, and by and large feels really good and really strong. And thank you for all your support uh, in getting me this far and, and, and all the rest. So – I feel strong and I feel fantastic. And most days I wake up, I've got no PTSD going on. You've heard it. I got. A, I had a whole PTSD uh, interruption with the cat going in and out when the cat just barges in. She never barges in when I'm talking. Uh, she only does it on Friday nights for real. Uh, something about something gets up her kitty ass and she has to do it. So, like I, I'm pushing through. I don't need earplugs anymore. Uh, I can just sleep through the planes. Uh, occasionally a plane, like once a week, a plane will wake me. And when it does, no PTSD. Woke up to pounding on the door. Woke up to shadowy figures on the lawn. Woke up to all these things, not so, not, you know, in the last month and just been fine. And physically, I think that has a big uh, deal to do with it. We're five weeks in. We're, I guess we're pretty close to six weeks into the new year. And so far, like it's been potatoes and lentils and rice and nuts uh, and it's been beans, and it's been tortillas, and it's been, like, really, like, overall pretty healthy, pretty cheap food, almost entirely cooking from home, eating out less than once a week, less than once a week so far in 2020. I've, I've beaten the once-per-week record. I've only had, uh, I've only gone out drinking three times. I feel fantastic. I feel really great. And all I can think is, like, when I'm going to the gym, or I'm coming back home, or I wake up, or I touch my body, my stretches, is I feel so good, and I feel so sexy. So now's the perfect fucking time for an apocalypse, eh? Perfect fucking time for a fucking apocalypse, wouldn't you say? I finally fucking come out of my shell, and I'm battling my PTSD, and I feel great. Perfect fucking time for an apocalypse, wouldn't you say? And so I can't stop 
I can't stop with this fucking virus, the Wuhan. I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm reading all the stories, I'm reading all the stuff. I finally feel good, and now everyone's just gonna die. And at first they're like, oh, don't worry, it only kills people in their 60s. And then Dr. Lee died, and then a 22-year-old died. A fucking 22-year-old, a fucking 22-year-old is fucking dying. Fuck you, what was I doing setups for if a fucking 22-year-old is fucking dying for this fucking thing? So, like, I'm not even worried about getting sick from this thing, but just, like, uh, straight up, just looking at all of the connection and looking at at, at this virus and how it's spreading and and what have you. (sighs) Like, I'm not trying to make light of it. I just think, from the bottom of my heart, this is the perfect storm. This is the perfect storm to activate my personal kind of conspiracy nut, my suspicion. Because I hate autocrats, and Xi and China are autocrats. People's Republic of China are autocrats, no doubt about it. Um, I hate them. I think autocrats are bad people. Uh, Xi, as an autocrat, is kind of the worst kind. In which is he took all of the all the mechanism of the state of China, and he's what he's done for the, the last few years, especially, but he's doing for a while, is he's like, hey guys, just straight up say whatever I say is great. Just say whatever I say is great. Which there's a lot of bad totalitarians, but that's the worst kind of autocrat. There's different kinds. That's the worst kind. Because when you make that system of don't give me bad news. Don't give me bad news or else. When you're the kind of autocrat that makes that system, then you make every piece of bad news uh, something that people try and hide and dismiss and tuck away no matter what it is because the way that people get rewarded is by not sending up bad news. Okay? Worst kind of corruption, worst kind of corrupt system of government is having a lot of people with power who are totally, totally not in any way visible or accountable and that their personal success depends on them being able to be as squirrely as possible. No, unfortunately, we have a different kind of kleptocracy in the U.S. Uh, China's much, much worse. China's much, much worse than the U.S., however much I will gladly talk about how fucked the U.S. is. Uh, but this is a talk about China and the Wuhan virus, uh, and it looks like that there's, like, this significant thing. I'm so sorry that's not a sexy show so far, guys. Uh, it looks like it's 100% just not being reported correctly, and that's not a tinfoil thing. It's like, the numbers aren't correct. And if the numbers aren't correct, then that's that's already bad because the numbers that are being reported out are scary. But then here's the thing, and I'm not, like, I just, I feel the need to tell you all because I've now read literally, literally 75 articles on the Wuhan virus. Uh, And so I feel the need to just disseminate a little bit of information uh, to you guys. And that is to say, I don't want anyone to be worried. I said apocalypse. That was a joke. Right, that was the transition from "I feel good" to "people are sick." That's just a joke. Uh, I don't, I don't want you to think the world is ending or society is shutting down, uh, or anything along those lines, because I don't think that's true at all. But 
this is a great example of how it's okay to be concerned, how it's never okay to be panicked, how it's rarely okay to be worried, and how it really is okay to be concerned and aware. This is just a prime example because this is information that you're getting and you have to use the information that you're getting, but you also have to be cynical of that information that you're using. They're both requisite. You can't just take the information that you're getting and say, well, it's probably fake or false in some way, and then throw it out. Ooh, oh my, how nice that is when we can do that. I know, it's every piece of information I get from Breitbart. If Breitbart said that the White House was located at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, I might just wonder if it actually was, right? Like, if Breitbart says a fact, you can just throw it away. You don't need to consider it at all. Unfortunately, this isn't like that. This is one of those more complex situations, and unfortunately, it's going to get worse because I'm talking about death and disease, but I'm about to transition this into uh, psychological abuse. Psychological abuse that any partner could inflict on you, romantic partner could inflict on you, but much more likely a man than a woman would. So that's the transition here, and I want you to keep it in mind because what China is saying doesn't at all match what China is doing. And what China is saying and doing doesn't at all match what China is saying is doing, is saying about what they're doing. These are three different categories, and all three of them need to be understood independently and evaluated if you want to know what's going on. That is to say, if, you, if your instincts are telling you that the presentation of information that someone is giving you are bad, you must listen to those instincts. Now, you don't have to obey them. If your instinct says, this is horrible, we should run right now, probably. How often do your instincts say that shit? But if your instincts are like, uh-oh, I'm not saying you've got to run, but I am saying you have to make a note and be aware. Because in this world, there are people who will make presentations to your detriment, to their benefit, and they will use facts and calmness and reason as they do. And they will use these things, the things that are empirically correct about our world, like Breitbart does, saying that the White House address is 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, before saying, and a Muslim Barack Obama occupied it. That's why they do it. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, fact, occupied by Muslim Barack Obama. One sentence. That's why they do it. So you can't say no part of that is true because the person who wants to engage with you dishonestly, cynically, who has no good faith, wants you to say no part of that article is true. Uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's pretty much what China wants us to do is quibble over what's there, not there, maybe there. So with that in mind, not sexy, but I do think it's important. When the voice inside says that there is reason for concern or alarm, it is always good for you to listen to it. Person to person, and in this particular case, rarely do I like to make it, but man to woman, I think it's always worthy of investing in that voice, listening to that voice. 
because there's only two outcomes when that voice pops up inside you. When you get that feeling of, oh no, what is being said doesn't at all match what I'm feeling inside. Ooh, I don't like that. There's only two possible outcomes when you listen to the voice instead of the other person, the other entity. One, you're right. Two, you're wrong. That's it. That's it. There's no real middle ground. That instinct that tells you, uh uh-oh, is either correct, as in partially correct or all the way correct, or wrong. You suspected something that wasn't there. If it's wrong, that's really embarrassing. It feels bad. You suspected somebody. They were a good person. I hear you. Don't want to do it. I hear you. Do it anyway. Because the one thing that you're doing in either case, because if you don't hear that voice very often, the one thing you're doing right or wrong is training yourself to listen to that voice and then investigate and mediate with it. You're training yourself to hone and further those instincts. So the worst case scenario is perhaps you were too cynical and suspicious. Perhaps you were a little bit rude. Perhaps you were a little bit cold. Worst case scenario, on the other hand, is that you're a podcast story that me and Ali laugh about. Oh, I really hope you don't become number two. But let's face it, that's exactly what it is. Me and Allie going, I'm sorry. When he pulled out the box cutter, she didn't say anything? No, right? Isn't that crazy? And when he said, get in the car, pointing the box cutter at her, she didn't say anything? No. Isn't that crazy? And when he got in the truck and he was screaming at her, uh, and she's got the phone and she's recording and she's calling her mom, she's saying, mom, I'm going to get out of this. I know. Don't listen to true crime. It'll fuck you up. I didn't listen to true crime for years and years, and now I can't stop, and now it's making its way into my stories and my dating life. Do you know why I want to date women between 18 through 25? Apparently, they can't find a phone number on a website. How are they going to call the police if I jam their fucking phone? What are you going to do? What are you going to do if I take you out in the woods and disable Google Maps? I just, that's it. I am now your king. As far as I can tell, that's it. I've won. (laughs) I've actually wondered right before I go into quick quotes, it'd be great if you guys would put up quick quotes after all that evil because I don't have a rah, rah, rah or anything like that. I've often like legitimately wondered, do you think that there are women out there under a certain age who don't know that there are places that cell phone signals don't reach? Or do you think that they think that's like a myth like quicksand that kills people? Because I mean, uh, I mean this question 100%. Do you think that there's women out there who don't really know that? And I wouldn't even have to like be nefarious. I'd just be all like, hey, you want to go to Montana? And they like Montana might as well be Britain to them or something. Like, sure. And then we'll just drive out and the cell phone doesn't work. And they'll look up at me and like, I don't understand. And I'd be like, you don't understand a lot of things about the way the world works, little girl. Hopefully that's not too dark. (laughs) Hopefully it's just the right amount of dark. (laughs) Quick quotes, quick quotes, quick quotes. Let's move it right along. Thank you, everybody, for doing an extra, extra long show. Get those tips in. Keep me reading Chinese articles and being in a panic. Empty tables, empty chairs. It's a callback from earlier. You need to come out to the live shows to get it.
<laughs> I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really No quick quotes tonight? You guys always want to go to the poetry? I can go right into the poetry. No quick quotes? No quick quotes, no masturbation tonight? That's okay. We don't have to do either. I only do what you guys want. Okay, just a couple of quick quotes. <clears throat> Olive, you are such a good girl for me. Baby girl, you did great in your interview. Don't even worry about it. You're doing well. I don't think there's been any Mr. Tum noises, Allie. Because I, I haven't felt any Mr. Tum rumbles. I've been going pretty hard for the last, like, two hours. Goodness. Daddy's healing up. You hear that, girls? You can hop on pop whenever you want. He said after talking about rejecting every woman who shows him affection. I wish you the best of luck at your new job, little one. All right, guys, thank you very much. That's going to wrap up the quick quote segments. If you want me to say what you want me to say, you have to come on out to a live show, and I'll be happy to do it for you. Let's start moving on through the requests. We've got a number of poems, and I did want to go ahead. Let's go ahead and unplug my headset here. Yeah, that's good. Uh, unplug my headset, and here we go. <clears throat> there will come soft rains and the smell of the ground. And swallows circling with their shimmered sound. And frogs in the pools singing at night. And wild plum trees in tremulous white. Robins will wear their feathery fire, whistling their whims on a low fence wire. And not one will know of the war. Not one will care at last when it is done. Not one would mind neither bird nor tree if mankind perished utterly. And spring herself, she would woke at dawn, would scarcely know that we were gone. There will come soft rains. Sarah Teasdale. <clears throat> Ask me, poet, did I love her? Breast against bristle, penny eyes, I loved Rose. The way fours exchange blows, the way fractures need islands. The way we tremble in the glow of dead-ass truth, you wanted to stay awake just to see the end with her. Guardian, gladiator, and goon, skeletoned ash speak dead. Forget always. Ask me again. Do I love her? With holy mouth and hard hand, I play like I say, yes, yes, I did. Maybe under some other sky, Willie Perdomo, P-E-R-D-O-M-O. <clears throat> Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul 
and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. The sweetest in the gale is heard, and sore must be the storm, and could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. Hope is the Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson. And we've got one last poem tonight. Thank you for all the requests. And thank you for everybody who put one up. <clears throat> Indicative of the passion of the people on the 15th of April, 1865, Good Friday was the day of the prodigy and crime. When they killed him in the pity, when they killed him in his prime, of clemency and calm, of clemency and calm, when the yearning he was filled to redeem the evil willed, and, though conquered, be kind, but they killed him in his kindness, in their madness and their blindness, they killed him from behind. There's a sobbing of the strong and a pall upon the land, and the people are the weeping bear the iron hand. Beware the people weeping when they bear the iron hand. He lieth in his blood, the father in his face. They have killed him, the forgiver, the avenger takes his place. The avenger, wisely stern, who in righteousness shall do what heaven's called him to, and the parricades were man. For they killed him in his kindness, in their madness and their blindness, and the blood is on their hand. There's a sobbing of the strong and a pall upon the land, but the people in their weeping bear the iron hand. Beware the people weeping when they bear the iron hand. Boy, that one fit out perfectly for fucking China. As a final poem and a final shout-out, I suppose, respect to Dr. Lee, a true profile in courage. Okay. <clears throat> All right. We've got a couple of love letters. Ooh, I don't think I want to... Just because I didn't see it, but just because of the title of that one, I think I may... Need to read that one last, yes? I don't normally make that kind of judgment. Here we go. Okay. Into love letters. Hope you're enjoying the show. Hope you've paid me. And if not, hope you're bringing a friend. And if not, hope you've shared me on social media. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, hope you come out. And if you don't come out, I hope you share it right now. You stop, you hit that button, and then you switch out, and you go to Twitter, at Real Grey Night, and you're like, oh my god, I'm listening to this show, it's so funny, and you tweet me, and you tweet all about me, and you put a hashtag and all that stuff on there, it would mean the world, 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 world to me. Won't you do it? Of course you will. On to the love letters. <sighs> <clears throat> We get old, and we get used to each other. We think alike. We read each other's minds. We know that the other wants without asking. Sometimes we irritate each other a little bit, maybe sometimes take each other for granted. But once in a while, like today, I meditate on it and realize how lucky I am to share my life with the greatest woman I've ever met. 
You still fascinate and inspire me. You influence me for the better. You're the object of my desire. The number one earthly reason for my existence. I love you so much. Happy birthday, princess. John. From Johnny Cash to June Carter Cash, 1994. Boy, he had a... He was so much better with words uh, than actions in his love. <laughs> oh, wait, that's me. Oh, no, I shouldn't judge him. Okay. Uh-uh. When I am unhappy, dear Mary, I read your letters. When the mist overwhelms the eye in me, I take two or three letters out of the little box and reread them. They remind me of my true self. Each and every one of us, my dear Mary, must have a resting place somewhere. The resting place of my soul is a beautiful grove where my knowledge of you lives. And now... I'm wrestling with color. The strife is terrible. One of us must triumph. The professors at the academy say, do not make the model more beautiful than she is. And my soul whispers, oh, if only you could paint the model as beautiful as she really is. What shall I do, dear Mary? Shall I please the professors or my soul? I think of you today, beloved friend, as I think of no other living person. And as I think of you, life becomes better and higher, much more beautiful. I kiss your hand, dear Mary, and in kissing your hand, I bless myself. Your last letter is a flame. <laughs> there is no greater joy than the joy of fire. Now... Let me cry out to you with all the voices in me that I love you. I wish I could tell you, beloved Mary, that your letters and what they do to me, they create a soul in my soul. I read them as messages from life. Somehow they always come when I need them most, and they always bring that element which makes a desire, more days and more nights and more life. And now I will say goodnight. I will kiss you, and then I will say goodnight, and then I open the door, and then I go out into the streets with a full heart and a hungry soul. The most wonderful thing, Mary, is that you and I are always walking together, hand in hand, in a strangely beautiful world, unknown to other people. We both stretch one hand to receive from life, and life is generous indeed. I love to be silent with you, Mary. Kali Gibran to Mary Haskell. Oh, that was touching. That was powerful. That's good. <clears throat> to see. Sweeter than honey or honeycomb. You who are unique and special, why do you make delay so long? so far away. What do you want your only one to die who, as you know, 
loves you with soul and body, who sighs for you at every hour, at every moment, like a hungry little bird. Since I've had to be without your sweetest presence, I have not wished to hear or see any other human being, but as the turtle dove, having lost its mate, perches forever on its little dried-up branch, so I lament endlessly till I shall enjoy your trust again. I look about and do not find my lover. She does not comfort me, even in a single word. Indeed, when I reflect on the loveliness and the joy, speech, and aspect, I am utterly depressed. For I find nothing now that I could not compare with your love, sweet beyond honey and honeycomb, compared with the brightness of gold and silver is tarnished. What more? In you is all gentleness, all perfection, so my spirit languishes perpetually by your absence. You are devoid of the gall of faithlessness. You are sweeter than milk and honey. You are peerless among thousands. I love you more than any. You alone are my love and longing. You are the sweet cooling of my mind. No joy for me anywhere without you. All that was delightful with you is wearisome and heavy with you. So I truly do not want to tell you. If I could buy your life for the price of mine, I'd do it instantly. For you are the only woman I have ever chosen according to my heart. Therefore, I beseech God that bitter death may not come to me before I enjoy the dearly desired sight of you again. Farewell. Have of me all the faith and love there is, except the writing I send, and with it my constant mind. Letter Between Twelfth Century Nuns All right, we've got one last love letter. I saved this one last. I don't actually know if it's going to be a good closer after that because, God damn, that was a great love letter. Whew. Damn. You can tell that the female characters were written by a woman because there's no allusions to pussy. No allusions to scissoring. There's no allusions to uh, indigo girls. I'm just trying to recover. That was very emotional for me, and this is how I deflect emotion is with, with humor and sarcasm and deconstruction. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> uh, I definitely feel I fitted in. I definitely didn't feel I fitted in. I was awkward, uncomfortable, and not terribly happy in the real world, but incredibly happy in books. I used them as a survival guide and also as an escape. I dreamed of becoming a writer, but it seemed impossible. I wish I could tell young Neil that there was a time in the future where he would be on stage reading his poetry to an audience with a backing band that included David Byrne, or that he'd sell out Carnegie Hall. If I really wanted to show off to teenage Neil, I'd show him my five Hugo Awards. Those awards would matter to him more than any other award. 
If I could tell the 12-year-old Neil that one day he'd write a Doctor Who episode. Wow. In 2009, my father died, and when I went home, there was a message from my dad on the answering machine. It was just a cheerful message saying, It was mine and your mother's 50th wedding anniversary yesterday. Beautiful weather, and you know, it was a lovely sunny day 50 years ago, too. Anyway, just calling to say hello. And that was the first time I cried. So many people who were part of my life and landscape, I wish I could go back and encourage myself to spend more time with those people and learn from them. Stephen King gave me the best bit of advice. You know, you've got to enjoy this. This is magic. You're one of the most beloved comic writers in the world. Enjoy it. But I never did. I worried it would all go away. I worried I'd break it. It wasn't until I was 48 and I met my wife, Amanda, that I thought, oh, you run in your life completely different to mine. You fill in with doing the things you like, meeting the people you like, eating the things you like. I suppose maybe I could try that, too. If I could go live one day again, I'd take my 50th party in New Orleans. In the morning, my wife, who was still my fiancé, invade me into a hat shop and bought me a top hat and she said she was off to find a tea shop and she texted me when she found one. Ten minutes later I headed off to meet her and there was Amanda, dressed as a bride, posing as a human statue. Then a load of our friends stepped out and and our friend Jason performed a non-binding wedding ceremony between an author in a top hat and a human being dressed as a bride. The whole thing was wonderful. I looked around at all my loved ones and thought, okay, this is what you get for being alive for 50 years. Amanda's amazing. And this is the point where I thought, I think I want to marry you because I'm never going to be bored again. She does these amazing things, surprising and peculiar things, and I would never think of doing these things where you love. Really? You're really going to do that now? Okay. I'll stand here and hold your clothes, and if you get arrested, I'll bail you out. I love you. A Love Letter to My Younger Self by Neil Gaiman Great love letters. Two for two. Two strong closers. All right. Thank you to uh, everybody who requested those. And uh, if, you're de- if you're listening on the tip show or in live and you're not tipping me after that kind of show, I don't even know what to tell you. Like, what do you want from me? I don't... It's emotion and there's beauty and there's... I'm reading it so well and I sound so good and I'm here and... <sighs> what a fucking show. I'm lucky too. I'm also lucky, Neil Gaiman. This is the miracle now, Kyman. I used to love that guy so much. I used to love that guy so much. But then he wrote American Gods and I stopped being a fan. <laughs> I'm just being real with y'all. I just got to talk about my personal connection. I used to read Neil Gaiman all the time, but then American Odds, I was like, this is bullshit. And then of all the stories he wrote, he chose American Gods for a sequel. As soon as I heard about Anazi Boys, I'm like, I'm off the fucking Neil Gaiman train so fucking hard. <laughs> the Anazi Boys, I don't think so.
I called them the Nazi boys. I didn't like it. I know. <laughs> All right, guys, we've got some smut because we've been moving through everything so quick. I read everything so quick these days and I don't need breaks and I'm not like in any kind of trouble. So I can just read, 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 read. I'm going to take a little sip of tea. We're going to see if that caffeine is in any kind of trouble. Any kind of trouble causing, but I'm feeling really good and really strong. So let's get into the smut. Normally, this is where I'd be thinking about wrapping things up. But I think I'm going to get through this whole piece and not going to warn you guys that it's the last one. So here we go. <clears throat> I positioned myself before the fire on my hands and knees, legs spread, thighs wet with the primitive enthusiasm of my swollen cunt. After all my fighting and struggling against them, this I did with utter willingness and submission. My devil had chosen me to reveal himself to, had chosen me to be considered for the honor of taking his pleasure. I lowered my face to the floor, and Caleb came around to stand before me, his boots inches from my face. As chastity prepares you, worship at my feet, he says, and pressed the toe of one boot firmly against my forehead. Show me. How desperately you want this. Worship, as you've always done so well. Yes, sir. I gasped, lying eagerly against the worn leather. Chastity took her box of plugs and knelt behind me, her hands smoothly, slowly over my punished skin, reigniting the fires within. You'll need a bit of oil, dear, she said. Goosebumps pricked over me, and I felt a trickle of oil pouring over my backside. It dripped down my cheeks and slid between them over my holes. I couldn't keep myself from moaning as her fingers teased over me, swirling around my puckered entrance. Just one little finger first. She pushed inside me, and I stifled a moan by pressing my lips into Caleb's boot in an eager kiss. The dust in his shoes powdered my lips, and I kissed them with every thrust of Chastity's finger inside me. Oh, what a good girl. Very good. I think the smallest plug will slide inside nicely now. Her finger withdrew, and smooth and rounded wood took its place. It began to press into me slowly, and I could tell within moments that it was much bigger than her finger, bigger than the ginger she had earlier punished me with. I groaned as she slowly widened me, gripping onto Caleb's ankle as it finally entered me fully. How does it feel? Hmm? Chastity asked sweetly. Tight, I whispered, and she giggled. Oh, my dear, this is hardly tight yet. After all, soon enough you may be taking my husband's entire cock in there. Let's give you a little fucking with this. She began to slowly pump the plug in and out. My moans intensified. My cunt beginning to drip again. Show your appreciation, Amity, Caleb ordered. 
I kissed across the toe of his boot, licking tenderly, the taste of leather and dirt mingled in my mouth. Hmm. Oh, does that feel good, Amity? Chastity said, increasing her pace. Do you like your tight little asshole being fucked? It certainly seems like you do. Let's try a larger one, then. The plug withdrew, and I gasped, but I did not neglect my duties to worship. I licked all the way to the sole of Caleb's shoe. I was honored to even be allowed such a privilege as licking his boots. I could scarcely imagine being allowed to have more of him. Hmm. Here's the next one, Amity. Chastity announced, and again I felt the press of smooth wood. A little bit tighter squeeze. Indeed it was. I began to whimper, my tongue lolling at Caleb's feet as a tiny hole was stretched. It felt like three fingers entering me at once, and when it was fully inside, I still could not whimper from the fullness. You look like such a lovely little whore for me, Caleb said. Chastity began to thrust the plug in and out. On your knees, spread out and dripping, actually moaning from having that naughty little hole of yours filled. Keep your tongue on my boot, little whore, right where it belongs. Show me how faithful you are. I used my mouth upon his shoe, and I longed to do upon his member, even as I suffered through Chastity's merciless administration with that painful, tight plug. But I could feel myself slowly stretching a little more each time to accommodate it, my tight hole loosening as it began to willingly accept the intrusion of the plug. Oh, what a hungry little ass. You have. Chastity said, uh, Wants a bigger size already. Time for another stretch, Amity dear. I was groaning pathetically before she even began to put it inside me. Just from its touch, I could tell the next plug swelled to a significant size. I kept my mouth on Caleb's boots, moving from one to the other, eagerly licking the second one clean. But the stretch was more than I anticipated. As Chastity pushed the plug inside me, it began to feel unbearable. I began to whimper and then whine. Then from the sheer stress of the intrusion, I neglected my worship and pressed my head against the floor, gritting my teeth. Caleb's boot now set up upon my head, pressing me down like I was no more than dirt itself. Hold still, little four, he growled, and Chastity laughed as my whimpering and continued to stretch me. You're going to take all of that little plug inside you. You're going to thank Chastity for it, aren't you? Yes, sir. I sobbed. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for stretching me. Almost all the way in, Amity, dear, Chastity said gleefully. Oh, your hole is stretched so tight. You've been unplugged. You're not going to have that beautiful gape for Caleb to fuck. Let's get some practice in, shall we? There, you're all plugged up now. Mm, so tight, isn't it? Let's give you a good fucking 
with this. I whined pathetically as she plunged that torturous plug in and out of me. I kept thinking that stretch would get easier, but every time I felt swollen to bursting, Caleb kept one boot on my head, pressing me down so I had little choice but to take the brutal preparation. Oh, you're absolutely dripping, Amity, Chastity scolded all over my clean floors. You dirty little whore. You really love this so much, having your ass stretched so tight and fucked. You're a dirty, perverted girl indeed. Yes, ma'am, I am. I cried. My cunt was desperate for stimulation. I felt like a dog in heat, ready to run against anything I could. Instead, I was left to whine helplessly, praying silently to my devil that he would have the mercy to give me the release I so needed. I can hear your prayers, little whore. Caleb chuckled. Oh, you're doing so well. Give it up and I may very well give you your pleasure. I could have just sobbed at the prospect of relief. The ministrations of the plug slowed, and he was pulled out altogether. I could feel my poor hole still gaping for a moment when left unfilled, still eager to be stuffed. There you go, Amity. What a lovely hole you have now. Chastity plugged the plug back into me again, making me yelp as she twisted it inside me. Mm, still so tight, yet you're opening nicely. What do you think, Caleb, my love? She taken her preparations. Do you think she needs to be rewarded? Caleb removed his boot from my head, circled my prone form as he examined me. Mm, I think you're right, love. She's endured so much. I think it may be time to reward her. Thank you, sir. I gasped, overcome. Thank you, thank you, I swear. Hold your oaths. Caleb chuckled. You'll still need them for the fucking you're about to receive on your knees. Chastity stepped back as I slowly rose up to kneel at Caleb's feet. As he looked down at me, I could still see the handsome preacher who rained fire and brimstone from the pulpit. But now I could also see the devil within, the way his eyes glowed with a ravenous heat, the wickedness in his smile, the soft smell of him that I now recognize as the subtle scent of ash and damp earth that I caught every night I worshipped. The bulge in his trousers was the eye height, and my mouth began to water. Please, sir, please, may I worship? He unbuckled his belt and popped his buttons upon his trousers. My heart was pounding. Behind him, I could see Chastity smiling with adoration. He released his member, thick, circumcised, a monstrous and terrifying thing. My eyes whined just to take in the sight of it. You may, he said, and I opened my mouth eagerly, practically drooling with desire as I eagerly began to give the same enthusiastic attention to his cock that I had 
to his boots. Now, instead of dirt, I was tasting his flesh, salty and masculine, and gazing up into his eyes as I eagerly sought to pleasure him. Chastity came from behind and held up my hair back so I could take Caleb down my throat with full enthusiasm. Before long, the administrations of my mouth began to elicit soft moans of pleasure. such a good little whore, Chastity praised. She applied pressure to the back of my head, forcing me to stay down with Caleb's cock in my throat. I would not breathe. I could not swallow, but the discomfort was worth it when I whimpered, and the vibrations in my throat made him tip his head back and smile. Do you think you're ready to be fucked by the devil, little amity? Once you do... You can never go back. I could not speak, but I nodded eagerly. I wanted it so desperately, more than anything. Caleb pulled from my mouth with a growl, and I had to resist the urge to keep going from my cock like a ravenous beast. Position her on the chair, he said harshly, bent over. Chastity helped me up and guided me towards the chair. She sat down and moved me so that I was bent over at the waist with my hands on the armrest to steady myself. She gasped my chin and said, Keep those legs spread, Amity, dear. Give him a good view. I wanted to cry from sheer anticipation as I obeyed. I was to be fucked while Chastity watched every expression upon my face. Caelan came up from behind me and his hands dug into my hips. His cock tapped against me from behind, teasing the hole that Chastity had just made over finished torturing. Beg for me, he commanded. Tell me exactly what you want. Chastity gripped my face as I said it. I want you to fuck me, please, sir. Is that all, girl? Please, fuck me in the ass, sir. I whimpered. Please, I want... I couldn't imagine anything other than please as he began to press his length inside me. I thought to myself thoroughly stretched, but having his cock filling me proved me wrong. I was torn between cries of pain and ecstasy as he reached his full length within me and began to fuck me slowly. Every stroke made my cunt throb until I was no longer able to think straight. He gripped my hands hard, enough to bruise, pulling me back with the pounding into me. What a very good little whore I heard. Instead of gripping my face, Atacity reached around. Her fingers slid in between my folds, rubbing over my my clit. My legs began to shake. I couldn't keep up with the primal cry from escaping my lips. Between the two of them, I was swiftly trembling towards the ultimate ecstasy. Caleb's hand tangled in my hair, gripped as if he whispered harshly, I'm going to come inside you, Pin. I'm going to be able to come, and you're never going to get the devil out. I could no longer stand. My pleasure was peaking, and Chastity seemed to have no intention of slowing her pleasure on my clit. I gave a ragged sob of my orgasm flooded over me, all of my muscles trembling and clenching. It seemed to push Caleb over the edge as well, for I felt his cock swell and his legs shake, and I was flooded with the impossible heat. For a moment I thought true fire was moving through me, but I could not get away as he pressed me back back against him, ensuring I took every last drop of him inside. 
my breathing ragged, dripping with sweat, I hung my head. Chastity gently tucked my back, my hair back, caressing my cheeks as she did. Oh, what a very, very good girl. Caleb did not release me immediately, but let it linger with the feel of him still burning hot inside. His hand rubbed my lower back, soothing me, trembling. You truly belong to the devil now, Amnity Fen. He said, you're mine. No one in Hegum was any wiser to the perversion that had gone on behind closed doors. Word began to go round that I had repented, and that the wise shepherd of Father Caleb Morley and I had been brought to the light of the Lord. I would smile in silence when they congratulated me on my conversion, let them think what they wanted. It was safer that way anyway. Let them think that my Sunday spent in Chastity's company was merely for the sake of studying scripture, and that my late evenings in the Morley home was to receive the tutelage of a pure, godly couple. Our companionship was no secret. But that true tutelage I received was far from godly. The light had been brought to was that of hellfire. A Devil in Hingham, number eight, chapter eight, I'm assuming, Devil by Harley LaRoe. L-A-R-O-U-X. We've got one more. Poor in peace tonight. Uh, apologies. Uh, I have to choose because there's two really long ones. Uh, so somebody submit one and I push it off. But again, it's too long. I did want to mix it up. So we've got one more porn piece tonight. Here we go. Uh, 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 uh. <clears throat> it's a little bit longer. I'm going to read it uh, about the same tempo. <clears throat> Layla swiped her metro card at the turnstile and hastened through the station along throngs of fellow New Yorkers, arriving just at the four-train screed into the terminal. Wrinkling her nose at the puff of body odor and strong cologne, she boarded the packed train car. The hem of the dress brushed the front of her thighs, and she grasped at the overhead handrail. Had she been home in her kitchen or tucked into her cubicle at the telemarketing firm where she worked, she might have allowed herself to slip into a fantasy, swapping the gentle swish of fabric for fingers. It had been nearly a year since someone had touched her on purpose, weeks since she had had a face-to-face -face conversation, that something as simple as contact with her clothes can make her stomach flutter was downright demoralizing. She hoped moving out of her sister's house would encourage her to be more social, but all it had done was reinforce her belief that loneliness was contagious, disseminating itself like influenza in a crowded elevator. Still, Layla never felt more isolated than when she boarded the subway, packed back-to-back -back with strangers, like too many olives in the jar. The conductor's voice cracked over the intercom as the train began to move into the tunnel. Layla stared blankly at her reflection, smudged and translucent, in the darkened window. She needed a haircut and a new dress, something to make her a lot less ghost-like. The train shuddered. She held tight to the bar to keep herself upright, but her foot slipped. 
accidentally bumping the passengers seated in front of her. Soft denim brushed up against Layla's calf. The contact was brief, hardly worth noticing. But she did. Glancing down at the man seated before her, she was startled to find him staring. Most New Yorkers knew better than to maintain eye contact on the subway, but the duffel bag at his feet gave the impression he might be a tourist. A handsome tourist, Layla thought, eyeing his broad hands curved over his splayed knees mere inches from her thighs. She looked up as the train surfaced, a smile on the edges of her mouth. You could tell a lot about a man from the condition of his hands, what sort of work he did, his marital status, his commitment to cleanliness, or lack thereof. This man had long fingernails with large knuckles and light brown hairs that trimmed into his short sleeves. The thought of those clean, strong hands guiding up her skirt made her want to squeeze her thighs together. She attempted to cross her right foot over her left, but found it impossible with the bag resting at his feet. The man cleared his throat. Layla told herself not to look, not to encourage, but it had been so long since anyone had looked at her, since anyone like that, that she couldn't resist. His mouth, an island in a sea of strawberry blonde stubble, tipped into a smile and mined the word hi. A warm shiver moved through her. Hey, she whispered. The train descended into another tunnel. Layla sidestepped, closing the distance between the man's leg and her own. His finger and thumb grazed her skin, and she gasped. He seemed pleased by her reaction, pleased enough to encircle her knee with his whole hand. Layla's heart pounded, and her temples, drowning out the rumble of the train. She slid to her other leg out to touch the man's opposite knee. He held it with both hands. Layla's breath snagged in her chest. What the hell was she thinking? She knew nothing about this man or what he might be capable of. He stroked the backs of her knees, his gaze roving over her breasts and belly. His hands slid a few inches higher. A deep ache had settled between Layla's thighs like stones in her pockets, dragging her attention downward. She bit her lips, holding back like a whimper. Someone coughed, and she scanned the faces around her for knowing glances, but everyone appeared to be lost in their own thoughts, even the woman to the stranger's immediate left and right, who'd only ever look up from their phones to catch him touching her. The man followed Layla's gaze, smiled wider, and then slid up under her dress. She could hardly breathe, His chest, her chest and belly tight from anxiety laced with arousal. A quick glance down revealed an obvious bulge in the man's inseam. Desire watered her mouth. Passengers shuffled towards the doors of the trains and walled to a stop. The stranger's lowered hands to her knees, and the ache of disappointment pierced Layla's chest. Turn around, he said quietly. It took a second for Layla to discern his meeting. He was giving her an out, a chance to stop this whatever this was before it went any further. Did she want to do it? She did. Layla turned her face the opposite row of seats as a new group of commuters streamed into the car. The man tugged at her skirt, guiding her a half-step back between his legs. 
The train lurched forward and was off again. She clutched the overhead bars. The man trailed feather-light strokes along the outer thighs and up into her dress. Heat flooded her face. She prayed that no one would be able to notice the sweat beads on her upper lip. He caressed her legs, teasing her with strong, skilled fingers. Layla closed her eyes. It felt so good to be touched. If only they could slip off somewhere private where he could kiss her, taste her. It was a dangerous thought, one that made her shiver. He tickled the back of her thighs and glided his thumb down between them. Skimming upward towards her panties, her nerves felt taut like violin strings wound too tightly, ready to snap. Excuse me, said an elderly woman to Layla's right. The man stilled his hands. Does this train go all the way to Bedford Park? Layla swallowed with a lump of panic in her throat and said yes. The woman affirmed and walked off. And Layla smiled tightly. She expected the man's finger to vanish after their close call, but he kept his hand poised just below her bottom. Her heart sank as the train slowed to a stop once again. The conductor cracked over the intercom that this would be the 51th Street stop. That would be hers. A handful of people departed and more got on. Another of the train pitched. Layla's new friend continued to stroke her inner thighs, guiding up and down and floating back up. She chewed her lip and considered bending her knees to spread and speed his ascent. Finally, he made contact with her panties. He rocked the flat edge of his hand back up and forth along the outer lips. Each swipe of pressure on her clit left her wanting. Layla's fingernails cut into her hand, and she lightened around the bar. Two fingers toyed with her underwear, slipping beneath the elastic of her thighs. The train shivered and shook, and so did Layla. He resumed stroking back and forth over her lips before sliding between them, and she swore she heard a sharp inhale as she encountered her wetness. He made sure his fingers were good and slick before he touched her clint. Layla clenched her jaws. The man drew circles over the tight bundle of nerves. Each and every stroke elicited a sharp twinge of arousal, threatening to reduce her to a mourning, writhing, wanton thing before everyone's eyes. She swayed with the train as it banked, her feet slipping a few inches and placing her eyes deeper into the V of his legs. The man touched his light, yet insistent, unrelenting, as he thrummed her sensitive bud. Pleasure stood like a cake batter in the bowl of her pelvis, sweet and silken, delicious. Gas became choked whispers, twinges deepened into throbs. He slid his thumb inside her, and she bit down hard on her lips as the muscles in the groin tensed and spasmed. Now approaching 41th Ninth Street in Grand Course, said the conductor. She came, her knees liquefying. She hadn't been her grip on the bar. She wouldn't collapse in the disgusted floor. The brakes squealed as the train coasted towards the platform, and Layla trapped the man's foot at the signal that this was her stop. He withdrew from her panties, guiding his fingertips down the back of her thighs, trailing wetness. He rose to his feet. Pressed against her back, he was broader than she anticipated, and taller, too. She felt like a morsel in comparison, like he could swallow her whole. 
His right hand covered hers on the bar while the left surreptitiously squeezed her backside. She'd grown used to his hand on her body, enough to welcome them like old friends. His breast gushed hot across her cheek, making her skin tingle and her nipples prick. The train stopped and the bar and the door slid open. Was he planning to follow her? There's only one way to find out. She leaned against him and then snaked her palm out from under his. The last thing she felt on him was her hand as an occupied rear, the resulting chill of her skin, as she had grown accustomed to the lack of touch. Layla weaved through the crowded car and stepped onto the station platform, breathing deeply for the first time since she boarded on the train. She felt the mob take her, moving through the station in a daze. Someone's shoes scraped the back of their heel, and she approached the stairway. Was it him? Was he trailing her? She pushed on, head spinning and heart racing. If he was indeed following her, where should she go? She could lead him to her apartment, but wait, that would be stupid could be dangerous. Panic and arousal circled around in her belly as she debated whether or not to duck into a bathroom and find an attendant. She had let her fantasies of desire overtake her sanity, and now sanity was closing in fast. Layla climbed the stairs two at a time, gripping the banister. She hurried herself to the top step and out into the street. When she scanned the busy intersection, afraid to turn around, afraid to face his expectant stare, after all, she allowed him to get her off. Now it was his turn. Layla didn't know what scared her more, the possibility that this man might be coming to collect or part of her that desperately wanted to return the favor. The entire stipulation had gone crazy, crazy hot, yes, but still crazy. Car horns and distant sirens blared. Layla jogged across the street, her panties practically soaked through. She swore she heard heavy footsteps behind her as she rounded the corner at the Bronx General Post Office. Perhaps... She only wanted them. If she was still willing to let a handsome stranger finger her on the subway, why not drink him off in the privacy of her own home? She could take the time, draw it out, maybe wrap her panties around his cock. He seemed like the type who'd be into that. But what if she brought him home and he demanded more than just a hand job? She fought the rain in her purse. Then again, if he was as good with his mouth as he was with his hands... Layla stopped and spun around. A teenager in a blue raincoat shouted as the two of them collided. The impact knocked Layla back against the post. The stranger shouted, and Layla only apologized that she thought she was someone else. The girl brushed herself off and continued down the sidewalk, and Layla sagged against the lap post. A drop of rain tapped her forehead and trickled down her cheek. Panting, she scanned the street from a familiar face, but saw no sign of the stranger from the four-express train. She looked for him the next day and the next day after. For weeks, she combed the crowds until she couldn't remember if his eyes had been brown or hazel. Life went on as it always had, but something inside Layla had shifted. She wasn't immune to the feeling of isolated but hopelessness that had been dragged around was gone. Talking to strangers didn't seem as daunting compared to letting one fondle you on the train, and as for her sex life, Layla figured if she happened to have one, it could happen again. Maybe at a party. Maybe on a date. She was en route to her first real date to over a year when she finally found him, playing frisbee with a young boy in Central Park. Layla watched the two of them laughing and running, her own feet rooted in place. She wasn't the only one. 
A woman in a yellow dress lounged on a blanket nearby, smiling at the pair over dog-eared paperback. She called the boy to come over and put on some sunscreen. The kid flung a frisbee towards the blanket and missed it entirely. Landed in Layla's fiend. She picked up the disc just as the man from the train jogged over to claim it. Sorry about that, he said, sound like lending in the plain old gold ring as he reached for the frisbee. Layla's throat constricted. Had he been wearing that on the day of the train? No, impossible. She would have noticed. The man's thumb rushed hers in exchange, and he eyed her curiously. He asked if he knew her. Not really, she said. Heat and recognition flashed in his eyes, followed by trepidation. His gaze flitted to the woman in the blanket. He asked how she'd been. She said she'd been good. A friendly question, polite and clearly intended to keep her moving. She said she had a date. First one in a long time. And Layla wasn't sure why she said that, save for the fact that it was true. She tried to lock her hair behind her ear, not used to wearing it short yet. The man gave her a discreet once-over. He smiled and said that she looked good, and Layla said nothing. Thank you didn't taste right, considering the circumstances. A burst of laughter from the blanket sliced through the uncomfortable quiet. The man cleared his throat. Said something about separated for some time. It's okay, she said, because what else could it be? It didn't matter what had put him on the train that day. He was here now, besides Layla, and she was on her way to have dinner with a man that knew her name. And she wasn't about to be late on account of someone she'd never learned to try it. She smiled at the stranger and then left him, knowing that he would not follow. She never saw him again. On Route by Rachel Woe, W-O-E. And let me tell you, I don't think that's a very woeful story, Rachel. I think that was actually quite a good one myself. Now, uh, if I had to say, I think that you actually did a tremendous job. So maybe your name should be like Rachel Bon or like Rachel Awesome or something. Because let me tell you, pretty good story, I think. That was a live show, unless you want to hear me masturbate. That's going to come at the end. If you come out to the live show, I'll be reading what you're saying to me and your moanings and your machinations. Otherwise... You just kind of got to listen, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, that'll do, right? Yes, that's the show, and everybody's happy. Everybody loves me. Everybody's good. Yeah? We're sure? Everything's good. Everything's good. Oh, good. If you came out live, this was like three hours of live show, which is a good... I'm working my cock right now, so you can tell I'm a pro. Uh, let me get you a little bit closer. There we go. Uh, so you should definitely come out for Valentine's Day when you're hearing this on the recording. Normal time and place. Valentine's Day falls on a Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern. I'd love to see you there. Listen to how good I did today. Today was a low-energy day with all kinds of crazy news happening this week. So imagine how up I'm going to be for Valentine's Day, because I always get spoiled. And I always enjoy it. Oh, good girls.
Uh, I'm a lucky boy. I'm trying to make myself more like that Neil Gaiman uh, love letter to younger self every day. Remind myself. I'm a very lucky boy. It's okay for there to be setbacks and struggles and haters and frustrations because at the end of the day, you're the gray motherfucking knight and nobody else is. Uh, hmm. I've been thinking a lot about putting you, whoever you are, on my lap facing away and molesting you and having you in that order. But I really want you to ride me facing me tonight. I want to be laying down. I want standard cowgirl. And I want to feel your pussy impaling itself over my cock. I want my hands on either your ribs, if they're muscular enough, or if not, then your hips. So I can feel the weight of your body as you push down against me. Mm -hmm. It's so insane to me that I get requests for this. I'm still shy about it. You would be too. Don't pretend otherwise. And I watch cam girls and I watch other people who have to masturbate live and I watch them put on the persona. Do a performance, wrap themselves up. And instead I just try and get as quiet and intimate and honest as possible. Humbling and scary as it is. Because so many amazing, beautiful women ask me to stroke my cock for them. Call myself sir. Tell them what I'm thinking. I can respond to beautiful, astounding women on the internet and make their entire system of blood and oxygen and sweat fall out of balance. And every time it happens, it's a little thrill. Hmm. There are some things that stop being fun after you hit milestones or stop being fun after you get them and you can kind of regularity. Not that one. I think women think men are pretty dumb overall, even if they don't admit it out loud, especially the smarter the woman is. And I love, love, love that when I express my intellect, when I express my mind, that it arrests women. That if they don't see it coming and then they hear it and then they sense it, that their bodies seize and stop. I love it when you're still like a rabbit. 
who just smelled a wolf. This is why I don't want to fuck somebody who wants to put on Spongebob after I fuck him. Because if you think that I'm hyping this up for the show, you're only a little bit right. This is exactly how I talk to my partners before I fuck them. This is exactly what happens after we turn off Law and Order. I tell them that the heat of their pussy is drifting is drifting and turgid and making the air the same, and that until the heat of that pussy is plugged up, that there can be no stop to the whirlwind, to the engine. Oh, fuck. Mm. come from me, and I'll never stop, I'll never stop loving it, I'll never stop getting my cock hard and sensitive and overextended because of what I do to you. How attractive you find me, what you do to me, what I do back to you, how I move through your fucking body. It's always gonna feel good. You hear me? It's always going to feel exactly like it goddamn should. It's always going to hit each and every last goddamn time. So make it hit with me. Come on a little faster. I love making you come. I love that you want me to come so badly for you. Think about the level of control and insight I have without knowing your body or you at all. I would run such a game on you. You would need my come everywhere I told you that you did. Do you want that? Oh. Show me that you do spread your legs more, not your head. Show me that it scares you, but you want it. Mm. Yes, I fucking do sound so good, don't I? 
Mm, I can make you and your best friend come all over my thighs just by lighting them. <laughs> oh, I want you to make those tits bounce as you're riding me so I can slap them, so I can drag my teeth against them without even moving my mouth. I want you to be pushing up and down against me from that angle so that I can find the best way to tilt my hips to make you hurt yourself on my cock. That makes you hurt yourself all over me. For my pleasure and yours. <sighs> come on, come on, you have to make me come. Do you understand? I want to come after you, so you have to make me come. And I want to come, so you have to come. Come on, come on. Yes. 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 Yes, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Yes. Come on. Come on, ride it. Ride it. Ride it. Ride it. That pussy is mine, isn't it? 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 Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Come on. Come on. Come on. Are you going to give it to me? Are you going to give it to me? I am getting my voice as fucking close to this fucking mic as I can while moving my fucking hand over my cock. Are you going to come for me? 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 Are you gonna fucking come for me? Come for me, come for me, come for me. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Come on, come on, come on. Stroking down several times? Mm. I didn't come that long ago either. It's only been like, I don't know, 16 hours? Must be getting stronger. Mm. And after, what, three straight hours of uh, bringing it? If it came out live? Hmm. Piece of fucking cake. Piece of fucking cake. So I guess that means that you have to head out to the Valentine show next week. If you're hearing this, that means you listen to the whole show and you think I'm so fucking sexy and you gotta come out. So it's 10 Eastern and you gotta bring extra stuff and I'll see you there. Okay? Yeah? Uh-huh. Hmm... Okay. Well, that was the live show. Uh...
I've been the Grey Knight. You can call me Jack. You can call me Daddy. You can call me into your DM box. You can give me nudes. I hope you have a wonderful weekend ahead of you. All the craziness and everything else going on in the world. Just remember, you're valuable, you're important, and what you're thinking and feeling is meaningful. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and weekend ahead of you. I do, I do, I do. I hope to see you at a live show soon. I do, I do, I do. Thank you to everybody who tipped, everybody who requested, everybody who comes out. You are the ones who make it possible. Goodness. A little bit of cum brain going on right now, so let me just just try and finish up. Saying Again, thank you guys so much. I appreciate each and every last one of you. You're goddamn right. It was a great show. Listen to how good I sound. Listen to how good you've made me sound with all of your money and attention and support and all your generosity. All of your giving has absolutely restored me, and I'm still not the bull that I need to be yet. Boy. I become more of a bull with every little bit of BS that I shred off, huh? Get rid of the BS so I can be all bull. Oh, thank you, Allie. Really appreciate it. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Once again, for you at home, the tip jar is beneath. You just go ahead, hit that link. If you can't make it out, do make it out live sometime. One last time, I've been the Grey Knight. You've been thoroughly entertained. Thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every last one of you. Ah, good night.